Welcome to the Maintenance Mavericks podcast, podcast for people who want to learn all things about maintenance and reliability. I'm your host, Ryan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. In each episode, I'll be meeting with an expert within our maintenance community to take a deep dive into topics that help elevate the entire industry. Today, I'm super excited to have Luke Anir here on the show. Luke is the CEO of Safety Culture, which is a product that comes from his passion and lifelong dedication to solving critical problems in the safety and quality across the entire industry. So welcome to the podcast, Luke. I'm super excited to learn from you. Hi, Ryan. Thanks very much for having me on. I'm super excited to be here. For all of our listeners, you all know how I kick things off. So Luke, what I always do is have you share a little bit more about yourself, your background, and how you're first introduced to you know, this wonderful industry of ours, maintenance, reliability, and to your safety, to all of our listeners. Yeah, sure. So I was a private investigator, Ryan, uh, spying on people who'd been injured at work. I was working for the insurance companies, and uh, my job was essentially go and see how injured they were. And after about two and a half thousand different cases that I was involved in, uh, I kind of just started to ask myself, you know, like, what's the point of all this? And and maybe I could do something to avoid people having problems in the first place. And so when I started Safety Culture in 2004, um, it was off the back of that experience. I wanted to be part of the solution instead of part of the problem. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I probably didn't realize we're going to become this global tech business that enables workers to do their best work every day. But, uh, you know, here we are. <laughs> Here we are. And just to give some context to all of our listeners, you know, Safety Culture, you guys are what now 600 plus employees, uh, customers all across the globe, um, took a decent round of funding more recently. And if I, if it's okay for me to say, I believe that you're a unicorn company right now, Luke, is that right? <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the stuff that people uh, talk about in the press. It's not really stuff that we worry about too much. Because all we care about is our customers and the problem we're solving. So, yeah, we've got you know customers all over the globe and certainly set out to solve a global problem. The teams continue to grow and we've done it all with no external salespeople and very little marketing. It was all off the strength of our, our flagship product, iAuditor, originally, which was for doing checklists and inspections in the workplace. And, um, you know, we really made these champions in the workplace, people who are like operations managers, maintenance managers. Uh, these became our salespeople. They essentially were the ones that were rolling out our software because it would make them look good. They were able to do their jobs better. And uh, these were people that weren't really ever involved in software deployments before. They're like, you know, out in the field doing what I call kind of the real work. You know, they're making the, making the whole world go around. And, uh and yet they were being recognized for rolling out, you know, the technology that was allowing to, to work more efficiently, work safer, work to a higher standard. And so, uh, you know, it's been fascinating to see the business built off the back of our customers, essentially, who are, who are our champions and, and our best sales team we could have ever hoped for. That's so amazing, Luke. And obviously, like, one of the reasons why I was so excited to have you on this podcast today is because we share so many of the same similarities here at Upkeep too. Uh, we talk about like the person behind the spotlight supporting, sustaining our world and ultimately like the company that you've built so phenomenal, doing such impactful work for the entire world, I, I think is just so amazing, so awesome. So ultimately really excited to have you on this podcast today. It's been a pretty amazing journey. And, you know, I think there was a couple of principles too. We wanted it to be free initially so that anyone could get their hands on our products and, and work better. So whether you're a kid's working in Africa or in South America, or whether you're working in a gold mine in Canada, um, you could get your hands on, on the best tools to be able to 
make sure the highest standards are maintained. So there's been a, a few guiding principles that have uh, helped us along the way that we've stayed true to. That's awesome. Well, Luke, the topic that I wanted to chat with you about today, which I know is on every one of our listeners' minds, is around safety. And ultimately, I, I know you've got a big passion for this because you've you know, basically spent you know, a big chunk of your entire working life in this realm, in this industry. Where I kind of want to start, Luke, is four or five years ago, 2017, there's kind of like news from the U.S. Department of Labor where they basically said they're going to stop publish, publicizing fines against companies accused of violating workplace safety rules in an effort to roll back regulations. Where I kind of want to take this is like some people thought that this was actually an effective tool in, in workplace safety, this idea of publicizing all the different fines. What do you think about this relaxation and the approach to workplace and occupational safety? Do you feel like this actually you know, has been a relaxation? Do you feel like there have been you know, other things that we have done to actually support safety and better safety in industry? Yeah, I think it's a fascinating discussion, Brian. One of the things I'd say is that, first of all, no one goes to work to hurt themselves or even to do a bad job. Like very few people in the world get up and say, today I'm going to go out and hurt myself. So the first thing I'd say is when these incidents occur, it's because the perceived risk was low. So if people realize you're about to hurt yourself, like in the next minute, you're going to lose an arm or you know, you're going to cause an injury to someone else then they would stop. But the perceived risk is low. And so I think there's a role here in raising awareness and helping people understand how things can go wrong and people can learn from that. And if you take the aviation industry, for example, every time there is an incident with an aircraft anywhere in the world, there is a public uh, finding that's produced from that investigation. And all of the other airlines can then learn from it. And so I, I think it's perhaps less about naming and shaming and more about highlighting what went wrong and how do we avoid that from happening across an entire industry. And so I think there's a role to play in sharing the incidents that have occurred. But I think the intent should be not necessarily to try and shame a company, but more to empower people with the knowledge and the awareness of, of you know, things go wrong every single day. And if you don't uh, mitigate those risks, then, then the likelihood goes up. I mean, I totally see that too. And, you know, again, we kind of see it from a little bit of a different lens with, with our customer base and you know, the people that we talk to on a daily basis. But from my perspective, from our perspective, it, it does feel like there has been more and more of an emphasis, especially around COVID, around safety in the industrial workplace. But then I kind of read this stat and it takes me aback a little bit. You know, thinking like, are we going the wrong direction? So maybe I kind of want to ask you, Luke, like, how are we doing, you know, in general, very, very broad strokes term, like, do you feel like we are in general creating a more safe work environment? Have we done as much as we can and we should be doing? Yeah, I think overall, in particular, the US is doing a reasonably good job. The key here is to maintain individual responsibility. If you create rules and regulations for every possible outcome that could ever happen, then people end up placing responsibility on uh, you know, management or on, on senior people to be able to make sure that those procedures are being followed. And so I think Australia has actually probably gone too far. Like, you know, I get to see the differences around the world. And I, I think here it's a it's a we're in a I guess a state where 
you've got so much regulation that there really isn't a lot of room for individual responsibility. And, you know, we'll put a, a fence up at every opportunity. It's going to have a sign next to it and all the rest of it. You're almost basically, we're on an island, so there's lots of cliffs, lots of places to fall into the ocean. You pretty much got to fence off the whole country if you're going to constantly put up a new sign or a fence every time someone hurts himself. And so I think the key out of all this is awareness. You know, it comes back to what I said. People don't want to have a problem. They want things to work well. They want to go home at the end of their day. And so if people are aware of what's happening, if you're sharing the incidents, if you're making people, you know, if you're a, a, a bricklayer or, you know, you're a, a concreter, if you're aware of what are the incidents that have happened across your industry in the last week or the last month, um, and you can get access to that information quite, quite quickly where it's relevant, then you can use that as part of a toolbox talk. You can start sharing that information. And the great companies already do this, by the way. They do go and source that information and then they share it with their teams. But um, it needs to be a level playing field so everyone can get access to that information. So I think overall, are, are we doing a great job? For the most part, yes. Could we be doing it better? Absolutely. And I think technology can play a part in sharing that information and make it easy for people. I think it's too easy to blame people. You know, there's this saying that common sense is no longer common and things like that. It's like, that's too easy of an explanation. Like, you know, we've got to be able to do more than that. And, and quite often it's the technology that's actually been holding us back. And now we're getting to a point where everyone's got a computer in their pocket, even people who are out in the field that don't sit in front of a computer. They're in the form of their phone. You can now have communication with them all the time. So I think there's a lot more we can do and technology will, will be an enabler for that information to flow across teams. What really stands out to me in what you just said was like the ownership, the individual responsibility of each shop floor worker. I mean, you and I both build products for the end user. That's always been our, our big, big focus. I, I could see a flip side to that and kind of say like, you know, at the end of the day, like the, the shop floor worker, there's a big responsibility of management as well to keep our workers safe and create a safe work environment. So I, I'd be curious, like, wh where is that gray line? How do you create this? Like, you know, I'm sure there's like a delicate balance there of like individual responsibility and then corporate responsibility too. It absolutely is both. Um, it, as, as a leader and, a, and someone who has a team, uh, it's absolutely your responsibility to take care of your team. Like, no question. You need to provide a safe work environment for them 100%. At the same time, one of the best ways to be able to do that is to ensure that your people are empowered to be able to make decisions or call out any problems that they see. And you've got a culture that encourages that and, and is, doesn't punish people for being able to do it. And we see that you know, come up from time to time. The medical profession actually you know, went through a lot in the 80s and 90s where they started to empower nurses to be able to call out doctors in operating theaters when they weren't necessarily following all the procedures and um, that's had an incredibly positive effect yeah. across the industry now and these wonderful nurses are empowered to be able to to say when they see a problem uh, and actually help surgeons be better at what they do and so you know it's about from a leadership point of view, we need to frame that discussion and we need to create the culture that encourages those behaviors rather than suppresses them. Absolutely agree with that, that it's, it's the individual responsibility, not just to keep yourself safe, but also others. And I think that's what you're getting at. It's not just like, 
you know, about creating laws, regulations, and, and fences and barriers. It's about the culture that you create within a company to not just, again, keep yourself safe, but, but others and potentially patients at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the more procedures and processes you create, the more you slow down decision-making in teams. And so, you know, you, as a company, it needs to be able to innovate and continue to de deliver its product or service consistently to its customers. And yet, if you bring in a new rule every time something goes wrong, then uh, you're going to slow down people's ability to be able to move fast and make decisions. And so I think today more than ever, you need frontline teams to be able to, you know, the customer-facing teams or the teams that are out in the field, they need to be able to make decisions and uh, be empowered to be able to do that. And, and that comes back to, to culture and, and the values of those teams. Yeah. So, you know, on the topic of moving faster, I guess in this case, moving slow to create the changes necessary. So I have this stat that, that our team pulled up. So basically, back in 2020, uh, OSHA finally made its rules lowering workplace exposure to beryllium, which is this industrial mineral linked to lung disease that has been proven to estimated to kill roughly about 100 people a year. Um, it basically took them four decades, so over 40 years, to basically start tightening up beryllium exposure limits within the workplace. So this took 40 years. If it kills 100 people every single year, that's 4,000 people that have been killed as a, as a direct impact of this. So I guess the question here is like, why did this take 40 years? And what could have we or what should have we be, been doing and focusing on between this time? Yeah, I, I think there's a, a few factors that go into driving these sorts of changes. One is obviously regulatory pressure from the government in terms of, you know, um, creating rules to make sure that people aren't exposed to risk unnecessarily. Um, governments typically are slow. So um, I think if we're sitting here and said, you know, governments just need to be faster, everyone would agree, but uh, that's easier said than done. The, the second piece is perhaps something we, we all can influence a little bit more is the commercial pressure. And so, you know, when you think about your vendors and your suppliers and people like that that you're working with, we want to be able to make sure that they're, I guess, operating in, in a way that's safe for everybody that's involved. And so there's an onus now on companies, the commercial pressure to make sure that they're aware of what materials are being used, what are the associated hazards with them as well. At the same time, you know, any industry groups and lobbying that is done at government level certainly supports that. But um, if we sit back and wait for governments, you know, it could take another 40 years and you have, you know, maybe more than 100 people die for the next thing. So I think we need to do more um, as organizations, as teams, to make sure that we're prioritizing um, you know, who we work with and um, encouraging those suppliers as well to be able to uh, you know, do things safely and look at our own processes as well. It's uh, something that we talk about quite a bit with our teams and customers ask us if we can kind of give them a score or a benchmark against other companies in regards to how well they're doing for social impact and governance and, and um, that sort of thing. So it is a topic that comes up more and more and you will see more and more commercial pressure put on suppliers to make sure that they uh, aren't taking unnecessary risk because the consequences are massive, not only life loss point of view and injury point of view, but also Financially now, the penalties being handed down are significant. So there's plenty of good reasons to make sure that you're, um, you're really doing the right thing by, by your people, your customers, and the environment. It's so cool to see and hear from you too, Luke, that you saw this problem and said, you know, you're going to build an entire business and 
essentially dedicate your entire career towards towards solving this big problem that you see that has you know massive impact to the entire industry. Yeah, it, it, it like started out for me, I guess, as safety was the foundation. If you want a team to do their best work every day, you need to keep them safe. And if you can't do that, you're finished. So safety was always the foundation, but the majority of our customers actually use us for quality, for improving what they do every day. So whether it's Tesla building a gigafactory or Rolls-Royce building you know, aircraft engines um, that fly people around the world, like we're helping these teams do what they do better every day. And um, you know, I kind of originally sat back having worked in, I guess, the regulatory environment and with the insurance companies, I kind of had to unpick this problem globally because every industry had different rules and every country had different rules. And like it was doing my head in at first, like it probably took me three years of deep thinking to kind of simplify this whole thing down. And it was sort of staring me in the face where the checklist was the method that people, you know, the best teams in the world were using pilots and surgeons and people. And even kids at McDonald's, you know, 14 year olds were, were using checklists to monitor when they cleaned the bathroom last. And so I thought, Look, if some of the highest trained people in our society benefit from checklists and, and also the newest members of the workforce, then surely everyone else in between can. And so that was kind of, I guess, the method that I arrived at um, for being able to unify the way the whole world was working. And then, of course, now we've built an operations platform, which is much bigger than that and deals with training and incident reporting and all these other things. I guess... Uh, it wasn't clear to me how big this was going to become when we started, but I'm certainly very proud of, of the impact we've had to date. And it feels like we're uh, just getting started. What we often talk about, you know, in the maintenance reliability space is kind of like the, the crossover parallels between, yeah, yeah, essentially like safety, reliability of equipment, and then ultimately quality. And ultimately what we think uh, we often talk about is like, you know, a reliable system is often the most safe system to, to operate in and oftentimes leads to the highest quality of goods being manufactured. Would you agree with that statement or uh, any other, any other? Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I think essentially what I often think about answering for, for managers in particular across their operations is, is just two things. One, What's working well right now across the team, across the operations, across the business, and what's not working well? Like they're essentially the two questions that you're constantly asking because that's where you got to direct your focus. You got to keep doing the things that work well and 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 you know put your attention on the stuff that's not. And so, um, in order to deliver a product or service consistently, which is what every one of our customers have to do. Um, you need to be able to, to make sure that you're maintaining things to the highest level, that you're not having downtime because uh, things are, are breaking or things aren't up to the task. Um, the concept of, of lifing equipment in general industry really is still early days, you know, aviation and certainly in motorsport, you know, Formula One teams, all this kind of stuff. Everything is life. Everything has a life on it. You know how many hours things have done, how many miles have traveled. That's not necessarily the case for most of the equipment in the workplace. So I think we're starting to see now where technology is allowing us to monitor the health and the status of equipment in real time. And that ultimately gives teams that information that they need to be able to make those decisions so they can get on it. So I think it's very much you know, related to, to knowing what's working well, what's not, where's our equipment at, what's happening with it. Like, these are all the questions that you need to have at your fingertip, the answers at your fingertip. 
Yeah. And to your point, once you start diving into this topic, you realize that, yeah, it's not just, you know, safety. It's um, the, the yeah. world, the oyster just becomes way, way bigger because now we span across not just, you know, again, like the safety team, it's the quality team, it's maintenance, reliability, operations. And once you start getting into that realm, you start realizing that, you know, production starts having an impact on how sales is able to create orders and when they can create orders and how that gets shipped to customers and you go all the way up the stack to, to marketing. So I think it's really, really amazing. The company that you've built, the mission that you've started, and to your point, you really just have gotten started there. <laughs> yeah, I can I can remember when uh, General Electric got us to Schenectady, north of New York, which is where Thomas Edison had his lab and, and it all sort of started. You know, they sat down, uh, Alan, who who was my first engineer, and myself, we'd gone across, you know, we we're in my garage in, in North Queensland in Australia at the time. So a couple of kids from Outback Australia, so then flying across to uh, Schenectady was a big thing for us. But um, yeah, they sat us down and said, you've, you've reduced our, our wind turbine inspections by 50% across the whole world. Like they had 8,000 turbines at the time. Today, it's a lot more. And they're like, it takes three hours to do an inspection. And now it takes an hour and a half for the auditor. They take the photos. It's all there. The information goes to key people. And so it's been incredible to see, you know, the benefits that people get. But beyond my wildest imagination, that's for sure. Luke, thank you so much for sharing all of your you know, experiences. And you know, it's, it's so cool to hear your opinions around you know, the future of, of work, safety, where we're at today and what, what's ahead for us going forward. At the end of our show, you know, every single episode that we do, we do like a quick fire set of questions. So it's basically like, I'll ask you a quick question. Um, we get your thoughts in essentially 30 seconds or less. You okay, uh, right. jump in? stick to that. Sounds good. <laughs> Let's go. All right, Luke, um, what's a piece of technology that you're most excited about that you think will leave a lasting impact on our industry? Well, yesterday we just ordered a Boston Dynamics uh, dog called Spot. Uh, <laughs> it's got uh, cameras and light on it. And it's going to, I think, uh, you know, be able to just cruise around and, and collect a whole lot of information all day and uh, share that with all our customers uh, in their workplaces. So, uh that's that's the latest thing we're doing which is pretty cool oh my gosh that sounds so cool i i'm sure every one of our listeners has probably seen that youtube video of the boston dynamics uh robots like dancing to the music around um, yeah. around them <laughs> yeah exactly uh what about your favorite memory or the biggest win that you've had in our you know in our space maintenance reliability or also extend it to uh safety <laughs> Uh, well, there's, there's been a few, like, you know, we, we were monitoring the temperature. We make temperature sensors and, and, and humidity sensors. We're monitoring the temperature for like, you know, it's a bit, bit uh, morbid, but it was the temporary morgues through COVID and stuff like that. That was, that was our gear, you know, monitoring a lot of that sort of stuff. And, you know, I think things like when uh, GE call us up and show us what they're doing is pretty amazing. But um, one that I always remember is the, the research is in Antarctica you know, showing us how they were using iOrder to inspect the gear each day and they had, you know, gloves that could touch iPads and freezing conditions and stuff. And uh, that was pretty amazing. So whether it's that or United Nations doing security checkpoints uh, in Afghanistan and places like that, it's uh, it's been incredible. That sounds so amazing. And so many big wins for, for you and the entire team, Luke. Um, how about the flip side to that? Biggest mistake that you've made that you've learned a ton from? 
for me, it feels like we're not going fast enough. We're not innovating fast enough. And so I think uh, perhaps empowering people to be able to run faster earlier is kind of the, the thing that slows us down. So if I was to look back and change anything, I would, I would you know, get people, um, give them more scope, get them to think bigger and, uh, and, and let them run faster. Like that's, I think, the challenge for everyone growing a business. What about the uh, best piece of career advice that you've ever been given? Say no to the many, many good things in order to say yes to the few truly great things. Such good advice. That is such good advice. Yeah. <laughs> and especially when you start building something successful, there is many good things. Like every day there's good things thrown at you. You got to say no to more and just wait for the great things. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, life is all about a you know, game of prioritization and what you spend your time with. And on that note, we yeah. really appreciate you prioritizing this and making time for, for all you know, us and all of our listeners. Um, maybe last question here is, uh, you know, where do you continue to learn? Where do you go for new ideas and educational content? The, the best place for me has always been on our customers' websites. Like uh, I learned so much from our customers. They blow me away what they do every day, the way they, they uh, think and the way they use our products and they innovate on top of our stuff. You know, we see people win national innovation awards and things for implementing safety culture in their workplace. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, that's awesome. Like, that, you know, they're, uh, they're getting it done. So, you know, I learned so much from our customers. And if there's any point where I ever, you know, I'm not sure which way to go or I'm struggling or, you know, you just have a period where you think this is all a bit hard. Um, I get out and talk to customers and all, all of a sudden I'm energized and thinking, wow, you know, we've got so much work to do and not enough time to get it done. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty awesome. I love it. I so love that, Luke. And, you know, I feel the exact same way. I get so energized every single time I go to one of our customer sites and, you know, see the problems, hear the problems that they're going through. And I just think in my head, man, I, we can do this. And I want to like go back home and just, you know, spend all night coding it away. So uh. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a positive frustration, but it's, it's all part of it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Luke, for going through this quick fire set of questions. Last tidbit here. Can you share with all of our listeners the different ways that they can connect with you, follow you on your journey? Yeah, safetyculture.com is uh, is where our, our main website is. So there's a documentary called The New Hustle that came out a few years ago. We're doing a new series now that'll probably be on Netflix uh, on how we built the company and stuff. But uh, yeah, just uh, safetyculture.com is probably the best place. Check it out and uh, reach out if there's anything we can ever help anyone with. But thanks so much for having me on, Ryan. It's It's been great. Awesome. Thank you again, Luke, for uh, joining us. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's episode of the Maintenance Mavericks podcast. My name is Ryan. Again, I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find me on the uh, maintenance community Slack group. You can follow up with any questions from today or suggest any future topics. You can feel free to sign up at upkeep.org. I hope to connect with all of you again soon. Until next time, thank you again, Luke, for joining us. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks, Ryan. Bye, everyone.